How many of us were with us last summer when we met under the cover here uh, for our first services, right? And, uh, and I was thinking about all the birds that used to be uh, flying around here. You remember that there were birds like everywhere in here? Right? They were making nests in some of the lights, and they were swooping down behind my head and stuff. And you guys were, I could see it on your faces when one was, like, getting close to me. <laughs> you know, it was like, oh, man, one's nosediving for me right now. But, uh, but it's just, uh, it's really cool to see where God has brought us as a church and, um, you know, from those first times of being here uh, into meeting weekly down at the elementary school and God's been connecting people with the campus and, uh, and people are getting saved. There's been uh, baptism and there will be another upcoming baptism soon. And, uh, you know, God's just doing good things. And uh, it's really uh, about him, right? It's not about us. It's about him. And, uh, and so we have to keep that in mind. And the other thing that was cross, crossing my mind is it's September, uh, it's, you know, the second week of September, and, uh, and it's crazy to me that three months from now, we're going to be another year, you know, pat, we're through another year. Is that crazy or what? Like, I can't even fathom that. So uh, it's going fast, right? It's going fast. And so, um, you know, it's just interesting. Here we are. We're in week five of our God Is series. And uh, have you been with us for the other weeks, right? Anybody in here? So God Is, week five. Uh, we are week one. Anybody remember what it was? God is gracious and merciful. Week two, God is trustworthy and faithful. Uh, we're talking about the attributes of God in this. Week three, that God is a loving father. Week four, that God is, what, what did we talk about last week? God is holy. God is holy, right? We talked about. And uh, today we're going to be talking about an interesting one again. And we're talking about the immutability of God, that God is immutable. And the basic definition of this is that God is unchangeable, okay? God is an unchangeable God. Now, how many of us here have read all the way through the Westminster Catechism, right? You probably have that light reading. Uh, no, probably not. But it's written in the 1640s by the Westminster Assembly, who were bringing the Church of England kind of into a, a more closely, uh, a, a close alignment with the Church of Scotland. And this is what the Westminster Shorter Catechism reads about God, that God is a spirit whose being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite, eternal, and unchanging. These things do not change about God, right? They don't change about God. God is constant, and he is unchanging, all right? So maybe today you're a little frustrated or you might even be struggling a bit with things that change, all right? Are you, uh, do things change in life? Absolutely, right? World events change. Family situations change. Uh, you know, having a hard time getting active again after the last couple of years, right? Two or three years, you're like, I got to get active again, right? I'm used to not doing all that much. Uh, maybe you're here and you're aging and things aren't working quite like they did 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, right? Maybe your eyesight is not working the same, and on your phone, you have to change the letters to where they're giant now, right? So very little fits on each uh, text or whatever, you know? Maybe that's you here today. 
maybe you're here and, you know, your hearing is not quite what it used to be. And so I'm talking loud so that you can hear me because of that today. Maybe relationships are changing for various reasons, whatever that is, whether it be with your spouse or with other friends that you might have. For different reasons, relationships change sometimes, and life is change, right? Our situations change, and we all know this, right? And the older that I get, the more I realize that learning to handle change is a must in life, or I will be miserable, all right. Maybe you've experienced that as well. Maybe you see that as well. You know, Kim and I were just talking about that this morning, how we used to really like change. Anybody, you know, when you're younger, you really love change. You're like, yeah, come on, change, change, change. But I'm middle aged now and I don't like change quite as much as I used to. OK, it doesn't happen as easily as maybe it used to. Right. It can be unsettling how much change we have to work through in life. But with that said, about all of our situations, we can take refuge in the fact that God does not change even in the midst of an ever-changing world. Amen? So let's pray, and then we're going to read Psalm 102, verses 1 through 4. Father, be with us today for the remainder of this time, God. We just ask that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that your spirit uh, would speak to our minds and hearts about the truth of your word and reveal to us today what it is you want to speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 102, 1 through 4, uh, shows us a picture of a man in anguish and distress. Okay, so here it goes. He writes, hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me. In the day that I call, answer me speedily. For my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned like a hearth. Uh, and then he says, my heart is stricken and withered like grass, so that I forget to eat my bread. All right. A picture of a man who is in distress, who is facing uh, great anguish and distress in life. Right. So much so that he even doesn't want to eat. Right. He even forgets the bread and bread is a staple. Right. In this culture of food. And, and he forgets even to eat the food that is the biggest staple of their meals. Right. And so he doesn't even want to eat. He is just burned up like a hearth, right? Anybody have an actual fireplace in here anymore? Not the kind you flip on with the switch, but an actual fireplace. If you have that, you understand that the smoke comes out and it has that burnt hearth, right? Look, it's like pretty cool, right? And so, but, but in this instance, he's like, no, that ain't cool. Like, that's not what I want to be. That's how I feel burned up like a hearth, right? Where fire has scorched it and his heart seems to feel like withered grass, right? feeling defeated and feeling hopeless. And so let me pause for a second here and just simply say that the psalmist feels all of these things, right? The psalmist feels all of these things, and that's what he writes about here at the beginning of Psalm 102. And if the psalm indeed ended here, if he would have ended his writing here, it would have been kind of in hopelessness and defeat, right? Sometimes that's our problem as well, 
is that we see things changing. These things might feel unstoppable, that they are uncontrollable. We feel burnt out. We're, we're, we have all these feelings going on. Uh, you know, the pace in which things change today are maybe faster than ever before. Amen? Right? Maybe faster than ever before. And again, all kinds of things change. Prices change. Anybody here know that? Prices change, right, on everything. Weather changes, right? The weather app. Anybody check the weather app on like Thursday and Friday afternoon? It's completely different than what it said it was going to be Thursday, right? Weather app is, it changes all the time, right? Music changes. How many of us know music styles and genres change uh, and long gone are the days of hair metal and grunge rock that I grew up with, much to my dismay, okay? But it's gone, and I have to deal with that, all right? And whatever music you grew up with or listening to, it's gone probably, and today, right, what we have is what we have. Now, Gen X has the best music. I always say that. I'm just saying, Gen X has the best music, but anyway. How many of us know fashion changes, right? Fashion changes. Now, I don't know, some people are more into fashion than other people, but here's the good thing that I found with fashion is that it's circular, all right? It's circular. And so if you have something that's not in these days, just hang on to it because it's coming back, baby. It's coming back, right? It's coming back. It'll make its way back around for sure. You know, highlight colors, you know, acid wash jeans, stone wash jeans, all those types of things. They'll come back around. Just hang on to them, all right? We feel that uh, we feel many of the same things as the psalmist feels. And then we look at them sometimes so long that they can become an insurmountable mountain in front of us. Amen? And that's what brings a hopelessness in front of us and before us. And yet, in all of these things that the psalmist is talking about, he doesn't end there, right? If you keep reading in Psalm 102, he doesn't end there. In fact, it's not the end of the story, and he goes on to speak what he knows to be true about the Lord God. And in Psalm 102, verse 12, he writes, But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations, okay? And then if you skip ahead to verses 25 through 27, he says, of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You, uh, you will change them, and they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years have no end, right? And so he is declaring this about God. When everything else changes, trust in God who never changes, okay? When everything else changes, trust in God who never changes. Malachi 3.6 states, for I am the Lord, I do not change, right? That's what Malachi, that's what's written here that the Lord says of himself. For I am the Lord, I do not change. And what he's doing is telling the Jewish people to turn back to him, right? That, uh, that he doesn't change, and if they will turn back to him, he will bring them back in, right? He will receive them back. And in Hebrews 13, 8, the writer says, Jesus Christ is the same when? Yesterday, today, 
and forever. Right? This is in his concluding remarks and exhortations in this. And he states this wonderful truth about Jesus that he is trustworthy in the position as high priest now, right? And because he never ever changes. He is actively a part of creation in the past. He's actively a part of salvation today and forever reigning in heaven. So he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is unchangeable and he's perfect in his will and his judgments. All right. Because he is perfect, understand this, he can't get any better and he can't get any worse, right? He can't get better or worse because if he could, he wouldn't have been perfect to begin with, amen? You following me here, right? So he would be incomplete before those things. He can't get better, he can't get worse. A common question about God is this, if God doesn't change, can he change his mind, right? Can he change his mind? Have you ever asked yourself that question? If God doesn't change, can he change his mind? And it's complex. Uh, uh, if he, and, and also, if he can't change his mind, why do we pray, right? Why would, why would we pray and spend time praying? And these, honestly, I don't know, maybe, maybe you don't spend time thinking about things like this, but these are important things to think through, right, and know where you land on this type of stuff. Now, in Numbers chapter 23, verse 19, we read that God is not a man, so he does not lie. He is not human, so he does not change his mind, all right? That's what the NLT says, the New Living Translation. Now, that seems to perfectly answer our question, right? You think, well, that perfectly answers our question. Bam, it says it right there. And yet, we do see times in Scripture, like in Exodus 32, where it seems like there might be something a little different, right? God tells Moses, maybe if you're, you're familiar with Exodus chapter 32, God tells Moses, he's up on the mountain with God, meeting face to face. Aaron and the rest of the Israelites are down in the valley, right at camp. And God tells Moses to go check on his people, right? Because here's what's happening. They're partying down, right, with a golden calf. And Moses needed to check in on them and see that they were worshiping this golden calf and that, uh, you know, he needed to get back down there quickly, all right? And then God talks about his plan to punish them, right? He's like, I'm, I'm going to punish them. But Moses steps in and Moses pleads with God, right, to have mercy on the people. He pleads with God. And what is said here is really interesting. I think there's two different translations, and one of them, in my opinion, is much better than the other translation. But we see here in, like, the New King James Version, it says, he relented from the disaster he had spoken uh, of bringing on his people, all right? So God relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Now, relented here, I guess, could be taken, that he changed his mind, or even the NLT translated, translates it as he changed his mind. So the question would be, is this an inconsistency of Scripture, right? Is this inconsistent? And you're like, why are you bringing all this stuff up, trying to raise questions in our mind today about the Bible, right? I think it's important to talk through things like this rather than just skip things and never talk about things that are maybe a little bit difficult to have the conversation, right? So there's two words that we all should know here, okay? 
two words that we all should know. The first is anthropopathism, all right? Now, I, you probably spend a lot of time reading that word and studying about it, uh, but here's what it is. It's a figure of speech in which the feelings or thought process of finite humanity are ascribed to the infinite God, all right? So it's man writing about God in in our own feelings and how we would feel about something and, and imposing that writing on God, okay? The second word is anthropomorphism. Another, again, I'm sure you guys spend much time riveted on this word, all right? Anthropomorphism. I remember the first time I heard this word in Bible college, I was like, I just love that word. I went around, you know, like telling everybody about it, right? There's this word, anthropomorphism. You got to know what it is. It's attributing human physical traits or characteristics to God who is spirit, right? Both of these are essentially descriptions to help us understand God's work using human terms of understanding, right? Bible authors were what? Human, right? They were human, and they write in finite terms because that's what humans understand, right? And so anthropopathism, right, putting those feelings, writing about those human feelings and attributing them to God. Now, listen, as for attributing human traits and feelings to God, the same or a similar idea is found in when we watch a lot of, like, animated movies, right, animated cartoons or movies. Anybody grow up watching cartoons out here? Like, in one way, shape, or form, now they're different probably, right? Saturday morning cartoons, for me, uh, it, you know, you get up and you'd watch, you know, Foghorn Leghorn, or you'd watch, you know, uh, Bugs Bunny or something. You know, grow up watching these, right? And what did we know about the animals that were on these cartoons? They had voices, they talked like humans, they acted like humans, they showed the same emotions as humans, you, you know, all of those types of things. Same feelings, same attributes, same characteristics, right? So that's kind of a, a picture of this, imperfect as it is. It's a bit of a picture of this, but I'm here to tell you, okay, I, I do a little bit of amateur photography, wildlife photography, and, and I'm here to tell you I've never been out in the forest or in the trees or anywhere where I had a bunny rabbit come up, hop up next to me with a carrot in its mouth and said, what's up, doc, right? Never once has that happened to me, all right? So here's what I'm telling you right now is that we attribute those things uh, in cartoons to animals, but animals aren't like that. Every one of us knows that. So, again, it's a bit of an imperfect picture because there is no perfect picture to be able to relate that to God. But it's similar, at least, and you can understand. So what we see are the Bible authors, again, using finite human terms to describe God, even though he's a spirit and is infinite and is not human. All right? Does it nullify their writings because they wrote this way, right? Does that nullify it? Then we say, well, we can't trust that. And in fact, I would say by no means does it nullify their writings. The Bible authors are inspired by who? The Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit inspired these writers to write what they did, and so, you know, I would say it this way, in fact, that the Holy Spirit was gracious and kind 
to inspire the writers to write the way they did. Because if they didn't, I might not be able to understand what was being written. Amen? And so the Holy Spirit, in my opinion on this, was gracious because now we can understand what we read. Does God have literal human hands? Anybody? No. Does God have literal human feet? No. Does God have literal human emotions exactly like Clint Reeves feels literal human emotions? No. So the Bible authors describe God in terms we humans can grasp and understand, and thank God that he did. All right, so Moses, when he pleaded with God to spare the Israelites, was not asking God to change who he was in any way, right? He's not asking God to change who he was. In God's foreknowledge, here's the thing. This kind of leads you, lets you know where I land on this stuff. In God's foreknowledge, he already knew that he would relent on the people, okay? So did God, in fact, change his mind, or did he simply follow the plan that he already knew he was going to take, right? So, again, where I fall on this is that God did not change his mind, but rather he relented, and the translation that reads he relented is much better stated, in my opinion, than a, a translation that says he changed his mind. So I hope I laid that out okay that you can understand and you can grasp that and go back. And, and if you disagree with me on that, we can still be friends and have conversations about it, but that's where I land. And so uh, what we do know is this is that relenting, God relenting uh, uh, on the people showing, and showing mercy is consistent with God's overall character and attributes, right? As we've seen over the last few weeks, it's consistent with his character and the attributes we've already studied and gone through. When Moses asked for mercy on the people, God didn't change his character. Rather, he was consistent with his character right? He was consistent with who he is, showing mercy and compassion. It wasn't a change of character where he was trying to figure out, should I change my mind and zap these guys and, you know, fry them up, or should I not? What should I do, right? He's not changing his mind. He is, in fact, consistently just relenting and being who he already is. And in his foreknowledge, he's following the plan that he knew he would follow. So, if God doesn't change his mind, why should we pray? If he doesn't, in fact, change his mind, why should we pray? And I want to talk about a couple of verses here and then uh, just briefly about this. James 4, 2, uh, B, the second part of it says, yet you do not have because you do not ask, okay? Uh, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. 1 John 5, 14 uh, John writes, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us, right? The people that James are talking to, they didn't have because they weren't asking. But if you read that context on it, even when they did ask, they were asking for things and praying for things with the wrong motive and the wrong attitude and for the wrong reasons, right? It was for their own personal benefit and gain. And so this was a problem, right? It wasn't God's will. It was their will, right? What they wanted. How many of us have ever prayed that way, right? Lord, my will be done, right? I mean, let's just, maybe we don't say that out loud, but sometimes we pray that, right? 
John, uh, you know, the second one, 1 John 5, 14, John writes and he tells his hearers that God does, does indeed respond to our prayers, but he also doesn't give anything outside of his will for them that he knows will be harmful to them. When we ask in accordance with his will, we can trust that he hears us and wants to answer us. Amen? He loves them too much to give them things that are outside of his will. Right? And so sometimes we're praying for things that we just want, that we maybe kind of even know that isn't best for us. Right? I've prayed that way. Maybe you have too. Right? If we're honest with ourselves. But God's not going to give us things that, uh, uh, that are going to be harmful and bad for us just because we're praying for it, okay? The purpose of prayer, and this is, this is key. Sometimes we misunderstand the purpose of prayer, right? We think, well, we're just asking God for things. He's going to give it to us. The purpose of prayer isn't to get God to do our will, but to know God deeply so that we can do his will, right? It's not to get him to do our will, but to know him deeply so that we can know what his will is, and we can do that. So what does the immutability of God mean for me today? Quickly, three quick things. What does that mean today? Number one, God's word never changes. God's word never changes. His word is fixed and isn't up for edits and changes, okay? You can't grab your Bible and cut pieces out that you don't like or you don't understand, right? The Jeffersonian Bible is a problem, okay? Because if you're reading that, it's got pieces mixed. It's gone, right? Some of it's gone. Miracles and things that you can't understand are just gone from that. And his word isn't up for edits and changes just because you think it needs to happen, all right? Every bit of it is important, and we're to read it, study it, pray, ask the Holy Spirit for understanding, and try to understand it. Matthew 24, 35 says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words by no means will pass away. This is what Jesus speaks, that his words will, know, uh, will not pass away. His words, the word of God, is more permanent, than, more permanent than everything that we see around us. Everything that we see day in and day out, his word is more permanent than those things. The Bible is always timely in life because it's timeless, okay? It's always timely because it's timeless. The Bible is not an old book. It's an eternal book. We need to know that, right? It's not a book of the week, the month, or the year, but it's a book of the ages, okay? It transcends time. It's an eternal book, not just an old book, okay? Number two, God's character never changes, God didn't have to study to find wisdom, right? He didn't go to college and read the books to find wisdom. Rather, he is wisdom. He didn't have to receive love to, uh, to know what love is. He is love, right? He wasn't shown mercy to understand what mercy is. He is merciful. God's character is that he will always be with us and he will never forsake us. This is what we see in Scripture. This is why the Apostle Paul asked the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8, 35, and then verses 37 through 39. Here's what it reads. Here's what Paul writes. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? 
And then he says, in all these things, even in the midst of all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, through Christ, right? For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's a great truth, you guys. That is a great truth. The word separate here is the Greek word, and we were just talking about this, Josh and I, in the back earlier. That's uh, the Greek word. It's, it's chorizo, and, but it it's, looks like it's spelled chorizo. All right, so, you know, so if you like chorizo, there you go. But it's chorizo, and it means to divide or to part, and, and you know, to divide or part something out, right? Anybody in here know anything about cars? You ever work on cars, right? I, I, I don't, and so, uh, you know, God bless you for knowing about those things, but, but here's the reality. Sometimes you have an older car, and it's worth more if you part it out, right, than if you just sell the whole thing, and so you part the car out, and you sell pieces off at a time, right, and so this word really kind of has that picture in mind, right? Can anything part us out from God? And he says, by no means, right, no way, He's completely persuaded, Paul is, that nothing can separate the believer from the love of God. God is love, and his character cannot change, so he loves, right? Even when you and I and his people feel unlovable, because maybe you made a decision yesterday that would maybe uh, break his heart, but it wouldn't break his love for you. And you have to know that today, right? Even when you feel unlovable or like you failed miserably, uh, you know, no matter, even if you feel that way, he loves in the midst of it. His character is unchanging, and we can count on that. Number three, to close things up, God's promises never change. His promises never change. Maybe someone has broken a promise to you in life right? Maybe somebody's broken a promise. In fact, if that's the case with you today, raise your hand. Has anybody ever broken a promise to you in life? Like if every hand isn't up, in fact, everybody's in, in here, even if you're like three years older, you know, somebody's broken a promise to you, right? Somebody's broken a promise to you. And if you're here and you're breathing, you know that's true. People are fickle, right? People are fickle. And let me just say, sometimes that person is me. All right. Sometimes I'm that fickle person. Maybe you understand that about yourself, too, that sometimes you're the fickle person. Right. We always like to talk about it in terms of somebody else. Right. People are fickle. Right. But but not me. Right. Well, yeah, sometimes that person is me. But God, he is faithful and he is enduring and he is not fickle. All right. 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul writes, For all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. In Jesus, we can receive the promises of Scripture that are for us, okay? That are indeed for us. But be careful not to read every single thing in Scripture as though it is exactly for you and a promise exactly for you today because you got to know when you read the Bible, there are some genres that are different. We went through a whole Proverbs uh, series where we talked about Proverbs. And Proverbs, if you make doctrines out of Proverbs, you got a problem, right? How many of us know that in here? They're truisms 
they're not doctrines, okay? They're truisms. Generally speaking, if you do what the Proverbs say, things will go better. But be careful not to read the Bible and take every last thing as a promise for you today and for me today. Let me just tell you, Kim and I, we moved up to the Seattle area, to uh, Edmonds, Washington, and we were pastoring a church there. And when we got there, one of the first things that happened is we were given a sheet of paper that literally was like 10 pages long of the promises that God had given that church for the last 50 years or whatever that though they were still banking on every one of those things coming to pass. And I read through those 10 pages of things, and let me just tell you, some of them should not have been on that, that page at all, right? Prophet so-and-so came through and told us this, and so we're going with that. I'm, I'm, let me just, uh, please don't, don't hear me wrong. Test the spirits, right? Test the spirits. Not everything that somebody says is 100% accurate and needs to be written down as a promise for you. So understand the Bible, understand what you're reading, and be careful not to make everything a promise. But there are some amazing promises in the Bible for all believers for all time. So be encouraged and stand firm. I don't want to beat that down. I don't want you to feel beaten down by that, but be encouraged by that, that there are many things in Scripture that are for us today and we can cling to and hold to. In Christ, you can cling to them and hold to them. God never changes. His Word never changes. He is solid, and in a world filled with ever-changing ideas and philosophies and ideologies, this is wonderful news for us today. And so I just wonder, let me just close by saying this. I wonder if you found a solid rock in Christ yet. I wonder if you found that solid, unchanging rock that is Christ Jesus, right? If not, today just might be that day that he's calling you. Maybe you're looking for that solid rock and you've looked in a lot of different places and you've found that rather than a rock, what you found is sinking sand. Maybe today is the day that the Holy Spirit's working in your heart and your mind to say today's the day to come to Christ as your solid rock. Hey everyone, it's Pastor Clint. I want to thank you for joining us today for this podcast, and I hope it was beneficial for you. Our vision at Family Life Church is simple, to create a safe, and authentic environment for people to encounter Jesus. If you have any questions or would like to connect with us, please don't hesitate to send us an email at admin at myflc.org or connect with us via social media on Facebook or Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. We'd enjoy hearing from you. Again, thank you for listening today and God bless you as you pursue Him.